My major pain has, has been invisible. The mobility aid makes it better. It gives me freedom. It can get to the core beliefs we have about ourselves. Don't ever think you're alone. Welcome to Major Pain. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury, and this week we'll be speaking with Sarah, an Army veteran who suffered an adverse reaction to the anthrax vaccine. When Sarah first reached out about coming on the podcast, she told me that her chronic illness stemmed from a vaccine injury. And I was initially very hesitant and unsure about how to proceed. But I asked Sarah some questions. She told me the situation and I started doing some digging. And right away, I found a ton of information about adverse reactions to the anthrax vaccine among military members. This is a well-documented occurrence in American history, to the point that according to the NIH website, there were an unprecedented 13 congressional hearings exploring these issues in depth. So I decided to move ahead with featuring Sarah's story on the podcast, and I'm so glad that I did. We had a really wonderful conversation, and it was a fascinating peek into this moment in American history. So after talking with Sarah, I actually did a bunch more research, so I'm just going to briefly summarize to you what I have learned. So in the early 90s, around the time of the Gulf War, a lot of service members came down with what became referred to as Gulf War illness, which was a mysterious multi-system disease. So here is some information from an article I found at the National Library of Medicine on the NIH website, the National Institute of Health, which uh, if if you are unfamiliar, this is the primary federal agency for conducting and supporting medical research. Uh, This article is called The Anthrax Vaccine Program, an analysis of the CDC's recommendations for vaccine use. And I'll just read a little bit from the beginning here. The anthrax vaccine was never proved to be safe and effective. It is one cause of Gulf War illnesses, and recent vaccinees report symptoms resembling Gulf War illnesses. And this, this article was written in 2002. I'll continue. The vaccine's production has been substandard. Without adequate evaluation, the Food and Drug Administration recently approved, retrospectively, significant changes made to the vaccine's composition since 1990. The vaccine's mandatory use for inhalation anthrax is off-label. I just want to clarify this, this idea that the vaccine's use was off-label. So the FDA had approved this vaccine for cutaneous anthrax, which is when it is absorbed through the skin, but they had never tested or approved it for inhalation anthrax. And that is what the military was vaccinating their service members against, was inhaled anthrax. But I'll continue reading from this uh, NIH document. So yeah, this is an actual government website from which I'm getting this information. Uh, Upon reading The Cobra Event, a novel about a biological attack on New York City, President Clinton decided to do something soon about the biological warfare threat. And then skipping down a little bit, in 1997, the DOD finalized the decision to vaccinate all 2.5 million active and reserve military service members, members of the Coast Guard, and certain civilian employees although no change in the anthrax vaccine label had been approved. At the time, no research had been published that explored the link between anthrax vaccine and Gulf War illnesses, although, in the absence of evidence, expert committees reviewing these illnesses had expressed doubt about a vaccine etiology. And I had to look up etiology. I did not know that word. It means the cause, set of causes, or manner of causation of a disease or condition. 
And this is where Sarah's story overlaps with history, because in 1998, she entered basic training and received the anthrax vaccine. And it's not just a one-time vaccine, it's something that she would get multiple times. And she had some symptoms after the first vaccine. She did have an adverse reaction uh, within the first couple of months. But then upon getting repeated vaccines over the years, her symptoms got worse and worse. I'm going to keep reading from this NIH article because this is really fascinating stuff that directly ties into our discussion today. On December 15th, 1997, the anthrax vaccine program was announced. A few weeks earlier, Secretary of Defense William Cohen had held up a five-pound bag of sugar on national television and warned that if the bag contained anthrax, it could kill half of Washington, D.C. He also promised that four preconditions would be met before the program had his final approval. It was later shown that at least two of the preconditions were substantially unmet. And then skipping ahead here, in March 1998, Secretary Cohen was publicly vaccinated and mandatory mass vaccinations began. The science to support the program did not exist. There were no published studies documenting the safety or efficacy of this vaccine for any route of exposure in humans, although human studies are required under the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act. Within weeks, military service members began reporting illnesses following vaccination, while others refused the vaccine. The military leadership responded with court-martials, fines, and less-than-honorable discharges. So as I mentioned, congressional hearings were held about this issue. I actually found the transcript of one of these hearings, and I'm going to read to you uh, a short excerpt from the opening statement from former United States Representative Christopher Shays. And this is in reference to uh, Bioport, the manufacturer of the anthrax vaccine. He says, Bioport lacks data to support the way they conduct key steps in the production process. That in turn means Bioport cannot prove the process is ever the same twice in a row, or the vaccine is the same from lot to lot. Validating the anthrax vaccine production process will not be quick and it will not be cheap. And these proceedings were held in October of the year 2000, so two years after this vaccination program had begun. The manufacturer of this vaccine was not producing a consistent product. And as Sarah will tell us, uh, it is believed that the batch that she took had a contaminant in it, and that contaminant might be why she had such a horrible adverse reaction. So I know that this is a lot more background information than I usually give you on the podcast. But I dived into reading about this after talking to Sarah, and I was fascinated, and I really feel like it's important information to have um, to give you the full context of what Sarah is talking about. You know, if Sarah had come on the podcast pre-COVID, uh, this wouldn't have been an issue because the conversation around vaccines in the public was very different pre-COVID. Uh, but it's become very politicized and a very, very, you know, hot issue for a lot of people. And we're telling a story about something that happened in the late 90s, early 2000s today on the podcast, well before COVID. And I know that it's impossible to separate your brain from COVID because we're all living through it. And we continue to live through it as we are now heading into another horrible spike in this incredibly frustrating pandemic. But this episode is about the anthrax vaccine, not the COVID vaccine. It's important to me to present this from a certain point of view for the podcast. Uh, Sarah herself will say later on in this podcast that she is not herself anti-vaccine. Her agenda, her point of view, is that she wants more research to be done as to why so many individuals had adverse reactions to, the, to this vaccine. Is there any way to pinpoint a biomarker in individuals 
who have these adverse reactions? Can we pinpoint the exact contaminants or ingredients? Is there anything that can be learned from this situation about future vaccines? And why aren't we doing more research? I will say that I've really, really struggled with how to present this conversation because we live in a post-COVID world. We do reference COVID a few times during this discussion, and Sarah will share a few of her views about what's happening with COVID mandates, given her experience with the anthrax vaccine military mandates. It absolutely makes sense for her to draw parallels between those two things because that is her experience. I'm sure that there are listeners who may find those opinions disagreeable or harmful, so I wanted to let you know up front. For myself personally, I am vaxxed and boosted, and I'm very pro-vaccine. And with that being said, I trust her experiences with what she has been through with the anthrax vaccine, and all of the background information I just shared with you is in part shared to back up what she is saying. She will share things about particular vaccine ingredients, uh, information that I have no idea about, cannot verify or, or say anything about at all because I'm not qualified to. And I've decided to leave that information in the podcast because it was part of this conversation. And, uh, and I feel like I owe it to Sarah to share the full conversation. And part of my struggle in presenting this is that, um, you know, I've been thinking about it a lot since we recorded. I talked to my family about it, and my aunt had some really great points about how, you know, people of her generation have seen diseases eradicated because of vaccines. And I feel like sharing the story of someone who experienced the worst, you know, who had an adverse reaction that left lifelong damage as diagnosed by the, the VA could be interpreted as uh, trying to dissuade people from getting vaccines in general. And that's not at all what my intention is by sharing this story. My intention is the same as every other episode, which is to give you a glimpse into the life of someone living with chronic illness or disability, to share their story, to give them an outlet to share and have the world hear what it is they've been through, to help others who have been through something similar to feel less alone. And as the creator of this show, as the custodian of which stories you are hearing, in some ways I am a gatekeeper. And I don't want to gatekeep people's stories and experiences because that's what happens to me over and over, you know, when I go to the doctor and they won't listen to me. I don't want to be the person who refuses to listen. So I decided to put this episode out and to uh, record with Sarah, and I was so glad that I did. When you think about military service members, you know, my family has a history of military service, and to risk your life in service of this country is a great sacrifice. It's something that I have a deep respect for. Um, so that's why I was so touched by this story. And wherever you land on the political spectrum, whatever you believe, we're here today to listen to one person and their experience. So I'm honored to share Sarah's story. We're going to get to it in just a couple minutes. I have a couple of exciting things to share and huge thank yous before we get started today. So first of all, we have a brand new patron, uh, a brand new person supporting us through our Patreon campaign to keep this show going. My friend, Justin Minnick. Justin, thank you so much for your support, for signing up on Patreon to support this show with monthly financial contributions. Justin is an awesome guy. Uh, I'm proud to call him my friend, but he's also a really, uh, really talented creator. Uh, he was the director of photography on one of my music videos, Relativity, or How to Stop Worrying and Love the Computer, which was featured in a couple of film festivals, which was very exciting for both of us. And, you know, I told Justin 
once we had filmed the video, I told him that he had, you know, listened to what I was talking about and pulled these images out of my head and made them real, uh, which is the best, you know, best thing you can say about a director of photography. He did an incredible job. He does amazing animations. We're working on a new music video together. Um, just a really cool guy who I'm glad to know and and so excited to have your support on this journey with this podcast. Uh, Justin, I've added your name to the end credits with the rest of our listeners supporting us at our patron tier. Uh, and while we're talking about Patreon, I have to thank everyone at our producer tier, the highest tier on Patreon. Thank you so much to Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Trish O'Brien, Ensign Q, and Hipster Leia. Your continued support is amazing. And that goes for everyone supporting this show on every tier on Patreon. I am, you know, just thrilled by your support. Uh, I am still not back to work because of my chronic illness situation. So uh, making this podcast is getting me through it and having some financial support as I do so is massive. Speaking of financial support, we have an exciting new partnership with Rare Patient Voice. If you are an individual with any sort of diagnosis or a caretaker of someone with a chronic illness or any sort of diagnosis at all, check out Rare Patient Voice. You can find a link in the description of this podcast. You can sign up to participate in surveys and research studies where you will actually get paid for your time to help the scientific community come up with better therapies for patients like you. And we just had someone else sign up this week. Thank you, whoever you are. So check out Rare Patient Voice. You can get paid to participate in research studies and surveys. And everyone who signs up through our link will also kick back a little bit of financial support to this podcast. This is my last opportunity to remind you that this Monday, uh, July 25th at 12 p.m. Pacific time, I will be hosting a live event through the Connectra Society about this podcast called Speaking Out About Chronic Illness with two of our former podcast guests and fellow content creators and chronic illness advocates, Alana Jacqueline and Amy Stephanie Perez. I will put a direct link to this event in the description of this podcast if you'd like to have a quick and easy way to find it. Or you can go to connecttra.org, C-O-N-N-E-C-T-R-A.org. Click on the Participate tab and you will see a calendar of events where you can find this event on July 25th. I'm nervous and excited and I hope to see you there. I was also so excited to see that we have a brand new five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. So this is from Ava. Love this podcast. Currently trying to figure out my daily migraines and working on other diagnoses. Listening to the podcast really helps me not lose hope. I love learning about everyone's stories. Ava177, thank you so much for your review. It's feedback like this that keeps me going, uh, makes this feel so important and so special to me. It really means a lot and it fuels me to keep making this show. I wish you all the best in your own chronic illness journey, and I hope that this show can continue to be a support in the meantime. I'm always thrilled to see new reviews on Apple Podcasts, new ratings, on Spotify, or wherever else you listen to this show. If you ever leave a review on any other platform and you'd like me to see it and read it on the show, please take a screenshot, email it to me, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. I would be thrilled to see it. I love hearing from the listeners of this show. You can leave a comment on any episode, including today's episode, on our website, majorpainpodcast.com. You can interact with the show on Instagram or TikTok at majorpainpodcast. You can email us, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, and I would love to, to hear your thoughts. And I'm always looking for new guests to book on the show. So if you have a chronic illness or disability story that you'd like to share, 
absolutely let me know. I'll remind you that my guest and I are not medical professionals, so please do not take any medical action based off what you hear on this podcast without first consulting your doctor. And with that, we'll jump into our fascinating discussion with Sarah about her adverse reaction to the anthrax vaccine. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. So first of all, I have to thank you for your patience because you reached out to come on the podcast Uh, I think the very first week that it launched, so over a year ago, and you are the only person that I ever asked to wait. (laughs) Normally when people reach out, I'm I'm thrilled to hear from them and and book it right away. But um, with your situation, I, I asked you to wait because I wanted to get to a place in the COVID pandemic when, you know, things were not so, uh, intense as far as uh, the vaccine rollout is concerned. And I finally feel like we're in a better place for people to hear your story. Um, Your story has nothing to do with the COVID vaccine at all, but I know that people are going to hear it through that lens. We were just talking before we started recording about how this is like the worst time in the history of the world to be seeking help for a vaccine injury. Um, And, you know, you just told me a little bit about the trouble you've been having and my heart goes out to you because. We're living in this time where you say the words vaccine injury and people get all up in arms immediately. So, um, first of all, thank you for your patience. I really appreciate that. And then to the audience, please, you know, put your preconceptions down and just hear Sarah's story today for what it is, because um, this is, I, I looked into this, this is a legit thing that happened in the history of our country. And I really appreciate you uh, sharing this with our audience today. Absolutely. Thank you so much again for this opportunity. And as you stated, uh, due to the nature of what my medical conditions are, a lot of individuals aren't willing to listen. And and that includes the majority of the medical community. And it has been an uphill battle as a result. I can't even imagine. I mean, you know, I I know what it's like to, to be undiagnosed and to have to fight to get care. So... I can't imagine being diagnosed, knowing what's going on, and and not being able to get care because of prejudice of some kind or another. So, um, yeah, it's so interesting. You know, like all medical textbooks will always say uh, these things don't don't happen except for like one or two percent of the time. You know, and if you are that one or two percent, uh, or in your case, I know that's not what the numbers are, but I'm just saying, for example, if you are that one or two percent it can be almost impossible to get care because doctors are unwilling, will be unwilling to listen. So uh, I'm very willing to listen and I hope that our audience is as well. And, you know, this is a story that I am very curious to hear. Um, But before we get to that, I really want to get to know you a little bit as a human, as an individual person. So um, before we jump into your health situation, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, absolutely. I am a uh, from a small town, a small logging town called Cedra Woolley, Washington, uh, born and raised second generation. And uh, what I can say is that all I could do as a child was focus on how to get out of my small town and see the world. So um, unfortunately, I was bo- born with dyslexia. And even in today's public school system, and beyond, we don't know enough about dyslexia and its effects to even have the appropriate therapies. And the public school system is definitely not paying out of pocket for these therapies. 
to ensure that our children have what they, they, you know, the proper learning tools. And so I was subject to that public school system as a um, dyslexia child. I really did not excel through my um, elementary, uh, uh, high school or otherwise education. Where I did excel was when I was able to tap into that ability of learning through visual aids. And so with that being said, I knew I wasn't going to get any scholarships to go to further education after high school. So at uh, the age of 15 in my freshman year, uh, the recruiters from every military branch came to discuss to our high school, you know, what our opportunities were after graduation. And so I went up to one of the recruiters and he says, well, you're too young. Come and see me again in two years. And so at the age of 17, I was approached by a Marine uh, recruiter. And my best friend and I, at our, uh, as a juniors in high school, decided we were going to go in the Marines. And so as we were planning, we got put into the delayed entry program and I I found out that the Marines at that time, they didn't have any special, you know, education bonus. They didn't have any enlistment bonus and you couldn't even choose your job. So I was like, you know what? I don't think the Marines are for me at this time. So I started looking into other military branches and I talked to the army recruiter and the army recruiter was like, yeah, we got $40,000 for college. You get to choose your own job. And so it seemed like it'd be a better fit for me. So at the age of 17, back in 1997, I joined the Army and delayed entry program and had my parents sign the documents for me to do so. And then two months after I graduated high school in 1998, I was sent off to basic training on July 29th, 1998, where I conducted basic training at Fort Jackson, South Carolina. And it was the most, uh, amazing and uh, difficult physically and mental challenging uh, training that I had ever experienced. And at that young age, I was, you know, still had that mindset of a child and I was just coming into my adult uh, years. And so I didn't really fight for myself. Um, I came up in an upbringing in a childhood where um, children were seen and not heard. And when they were heard, they got hit. <laughs> so um, I was already in that you know, military mindset of do what you're told and don't ask questions. And uh, as a result, I learned some amazing leadership skills and um, other training that really was, um, I was able to grow into the adult that I am today. But also as a result of not having that fortitude to fight and stand up for myself, I allowed the military to um, give me vaccinations that I thought was for my health and well-being. And I didn't question it. And I should have. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, military training, you do what you're told. And if they tell you that this vaccine is safe and that you need to take it, then you just do it. You know, you get in trouble for questioning superior officers. Um, so I know that this leads into your health conditions. So Sarah, what is your major pain? Well, my major pain and what was diagnosed by the VA back in 2018 is called vaccine immunoglobulin and anti-sera adverse reaction. 
I try to say that 10 times fast. That's a mouthful for sure. Do you mind repeating that for me? It's called vaccine immunoglobulin and anti-sera adverse reaction. Also known as a vaccine injury is a fancy way of saying so. And in what seems to be uh, something that the VA has kind of made up. And unfortunately, in the, the VA healthcare system, they tend to do that. Uh, they have their own uh, language for many different things. And it has to do with their CFR coding for service connection. And so, therefore, it is very difficult when you go into the civilian medical community for them to match up and be understanding of what your problem list really is. And while mm. I was in the military, wow. sorry, that's that's so interesting that the the way that they code a uh, the way that they code health conditions doesn't match up with the outside world, so it's hard to get care. Is that what you're saying? That's one of the major head um, wow. barriers. Absolutely. Fascinating. Um, okay, so you you had this vaccine in what year? I had the first set of inoculations back in 1998 during basic training. And unfortunately, many of us do not have those medical records during that time. We can ask for them, um, you know, after we get out of the military and some people were able to gain access to those medical records, but not all of us have the uh, opportunity to do so for many different reasons. There was a, a fire back in the day that the VA claims took out a lot of our medical and other um, you know, pertinent documents. and so. A lot of that just isn't on file. A lot of it isn't on file because they didn't take records. They didn't take records for many different reasons. Um, and so uh, that leads up to um, the reason why the 106th Congress did an investigation to the anthrax vaccine uh, and the manufacture and the way that it was given to our service members back in the early 2000s. Yeah, so the anthrax vaccine, is the is that the one that you believe to have had the adverse reaction to? We believe to have, uh, yes, the anthrax vaccine, in addition to several others we received. A lot of these uh, preventative measures have not been studied for long-term or short-term in human trials. And so it's more than just the anthrax vaccine that we are seeing complications from throughout our, our veteran community. From, um, dating as um, late as back as the early 90s when they went to Desert Storm, Desert Shield. Yeah. And, I, you know, when you first told me about this, I looked this up and I, what, what I read is that um, the anthrax vaccine in particular, um, and as you said, some other vaccines were given to soldiers to basically get them on the battlefield as soon as possible. Um, and that those, some of these vaccines were, were not, as you said, were not human trial or were not, you know, researched the way that vaccines are normally uh, for the public, for the, for the civilian population. Um, and they were given to soldiers to basically get them fighting as soon as possible because we needed boots on the ground. Um, so yeah, is that your experience of it that you feel that, this vaccine was given prematurely? Absolutely. And in addition to that, um, as a result of the military industrial complex, we have to be, like you said, military ready um, in a, a short term, a short time. And so when you consider an inoculation series of uh, the anthrax, 
um, when they first made this inoculation series, it was a six shot series. So that makes it extremely difficult to get our military service members ready for deployment if it's a six shot series. So they've been um, employed to find a way that they can make it into a three shot series instead. And so that brings on complications for the medical community to determine you know, how to to put a product like the anthrax into a vaccine because of course it can't be an active um, anthrax antigen so they have to add something to make that vaccine more um, effective and so for these vaccinations they use what is called an adjuvant and so uh, the hypothesis is that these adjuvants placed in some of these vaccinations have an adverse event to these individuals that we believe is due to a blood marker um, that we have yet to determine. And yeah. further research has indicated that there are blood markers for individuals that cannot take the malaria um, intervention. So for those service members that had that blood marker, they weren't able to take the malaria uh, prevention intervention, they used a different method. And so we're going, we're attempting to do the same with the anthrax vaccine and other adjuvant based vaccines to determine who's more susceptible to these types of injuries. We could potentially find this uh, blood marker uh, protein and um, decrease the possibility of vaccine injury as a result of this adjuvant that's added. Now, there's many other additives added to vaccines that can cause allergic reactions, and those um, have been annotated and noted in every package insert that you have for each vaccine. Each vaccine goes through trials, and they have package inserts to inform the public and the medical community as to what these vaccinations have caused in other patients. So what's the history of this particular anthrax vaccine that you took? I would assume that they would stop, uh, stop giving it to, to other soldiers. Is that correct? Unfortunately, that is not correct. Oh, really? Um, in the early 2000s, as I stated previously, the 106th Congress, U.S. Congress, um, decided they would investigate the anthrax vaccine immunization project. Back then, it was started by President Clinton's um, cabinet in 1997, making 100% of all service members uh, get the anthrax vaccine because the, of the heightened risk of our enemies using the anthrax on our military. I believe you probably remember there was a scare in the mail with the anthrax oh, being yeah. released. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah. And so they uh, attempted to push the same into the civilian sector mm. in the early as a result of this biodefense weapon being used on our um, civilian community as well. But back to the military, they um, made it 100% uh, for all service members to get the anthrax vaccine. Um, as a result, there was many service members that stood up and said, no, I'm not taking this vaccine. Uh, same with the, you know, the COVID mandatory vaccine uh, that we saw just recently. Um, and why there should be freedom of choice in all healthcare choices, but that's for a whole different topic. Um, but back to the military, like you said, in the military industrial complex, you don't always get to say no. 
But these individuals stood up and were saying no. And as a result of saying no to this anthrax vaccine, they were getting court-martialed. Court-martialed with dishonorable discharges. We're talking about pilots. We're talking about Navy SEALs. We're talking about counterintelligence special agents. We're talking about individuals that have thousands and thousands of dollars and hours of training for these high military type of positions. And this could be a potential risk if they were to become physically injured. Um, and so they stood up and U.S. Congress noticed it and was like, why are so many of our service members being court-martialed? And then they determined that it was because of the failed, what they called the failed anthrax vaccine immunization project. And why it was failed, because they could never determine that it actually worked against airborne anthrax. Mm. It was the reason why the vaccine was created in the first place. So unfortunately, during their investigation, they determined that some veterans who had Gulf War illness had what they called the squalene adjuvant or squalene in their system. The only way that the, the Tulane University at the time I was doing the investigation determined that they could potentially have this squalene in their system was if the vaccine itself had squalene adjuvant. Now, the reason why this is a controversial topic is because the squalene adjuvant at the time, and I believe is still to this day, not authorized by the FDA to be given to anyone in the U.S. Um, and so the U.S. Congress did investigation. They determined that the um, manufacturer of the anthrax vaccine had done some unclean practices and their determined their determination through their military investigation was that they um, contaminated some of these lots and that is why we're seeing squalene in the Gulf War illness veterans. Unfortunately they never did any further research. They were fine without those findings and to this day we're still continuing to get um, military service members vaccine injured from the anthrax vaccine. Wow. So th there was a contaminant, a contaminant, they believe, that was causing the, uh, the vaccine injury. So it's not necessarily a different formulation of the anthrax vaccine. It's that they believe that um, the, the one that was injuring so many people was contaminated, but they are still giving the anthrax vaccine um, to this day. Fascinating. Unfortunately, Unfortunately, when it comes to medical research, you're going to get two sides of the story. Yeah. When you have a military type research that is conducted through uh, funding from the government versus a civilian sector, non-governmental funding research, it's going to come up with two different, two different findings. Yeah. And that is what we saw with the research that was conducted with from the Tulane University in the early 2000s did not match up with the Department of Defense's research. And which is why uh, I started my charity called Operation Truth Vaccination Exposure Research to bring awareness to vaccine injury and the need for a continuation of medical research to determine just why some of us are vaccine injured uh, what these vaccine injuries are causing in the body and how we can prevent it. Not only that, we have to have service connection for our military service members. And the only way we can do that is by getting those codes that I 
spoke to earlier, and the only way we can get codes is the research determining, you know, what these vaccines have caused in the body. Yeah. So you you mentioned that your uh, your first vaccines were were during basic training. Um, is that when when were you vaccinated for anthrax? Was it during that first batch of vaccines, or was that later? It was during the first uh, batch of it. Uh, vaccines in as early as 1998. Wow. Um, within the first two months, I experienced um, edema in both of my legs. Edema at that point, um, it was only affecting my lower legs. And it, I, it was so obvious that my fellow service members, because during our basic training graduation, the females wore skirts and pumps and the men wear pants. Well, um, you could see my ankles and I had no ankle definition. It was so swollen that, um, you know, I, I looked like I was pregnant going across the field, um, graduating basic training. So I had no ankle definition. My legs were so swollen and everyone was asking, what's wrong with you? And so after I was done with basic training, I went on to further training for my advanced individual training to become a fuel system supply specialist. Um, and then once completing that, they sent me on to further training to become a truck driver um, to, as an additional skill identifier. So once I was done with training, I went to see a doctor about what was going on. And at that point, they thought it was just a, a tibial tendon dysfunction due to overworking and I was placed on a profile, which in the military, a profile um, allows you to do different things for physical uh, training and wear different items in the event that you need to for cold weather, certain things like that. And so for my entire military career, I was in for 10 years until I was forced to medically discharge in 2008 at the age of 28. I had gone through so many medical challenges while on active duty. It was a very difficult time, but I was able to still achieve um, uh, leadership roles and leadership training. And I was able to change my MOS and uh, go, I went back to school and furthered my education and increased what the Army calls the GT score, which is how they determine what job you're going to have in the military. And so I increased my GT score high enough to choose any field in the military, any career. So they wanted me to become a linguist. And so I decided instead I would become a counterintelligence special agent. And so in 2006 uh, to 2007, I went to training in Fort Huachuca, Arizona to become a counterintelligence special agent to catch terrorists for a living. That was my job something that I never thought could ever achieve. When I was younger, watching, uh, what's that, FBI Files, X-Files show. Yeah. I with the, those special agents, Agent Mulder and Agent Scully, and I thought that was something that I would never be able to achieve. You know, something that level of experience and education. And I did it. I went through all of those medical challenges, all of that uh, mental and physical challenges, and I became a counterintelligence special agent. So my, my goal was, of course, to retire in the military after 20 years, become a war, warrant officer, and go into the CIA, which is where I would be working today had my plan went as accordingly. 
But unfortunately, I became more sick. They continued to give me the anthrax vaccine along with several other vaccinations. Um, after I was done with my counterintelligence training, they sent me to South Korea. In order to go to South Korea, the anthrax shot was listed as an FDA-approved vaccination for those of us service members that were going to Korea, Iraq, Afghanistan, or any special forces needs. And so we're going to Korea, and this is documented in my medical records. Within a 24-hour period, I had received two anthrax vaccines and a smallpox vaccine, in addition to several other vaccines that I needed to go overseas. And so without further research, we may never know, is it, the, is it because we received so many vaccinations all at once? Is it because we received an anthrax vaccine wasn't tested in the human population and had a possible squalene um, contaminant or adjuvant? Um, or is it from something else? Like I said, without medical research, we may never know. And unfortunately, due to the VAERS reporting system, the vaccination reporting system that we have, it's so broken and we may never know just how many people are, are truly affected by vaccine injury. So once you had this uh, big group of vaccines, um, what you said that was in the 2000s? Yes, in 2007, 2007. I received vaccination and, in Korea. Mm-hmm. And then... You mentioned that you uh, you had to leave the military in 2008. So I'm assuming that things started to happen quickly with your health after this batch of vaccinations. So what happened um, after that big batch? How did that affect you physically? That's correct. Um, leading up to this point, I'd already been on two permanent profiles. So these are permanent, meaning they're not short-term, they're long-term. They're permanently something that you now have to do. And so I was on a permanent no running profile, which in the army, that's what we do, Mm. we run. And so um, in order to get over that obstacle, I had to do many things in order to get to my leadership role. The other permanent profile was uh, one for Raynaud's phenomenon, which was one of my very first chronic illnesses I was diagnosed with on, still on active duty. And I was able to wear any, cold weather gear at any time. So it didn't matter if it was camouflage, it didn't matter if it was black, which was what we had to wear um, to be uniform. Um, So I kind of, I played along with that. And I think at one point I was wearing brown and pink vans in my uniform with pink furry gloves and a pink hat just to mess with the (laughs) And at that time, I was just so upset with my body and just everything that I was trying to achieve with my career. And I was just ready to to move on. And I was so um, sick at this point in Korea that I was on quarters. I couldn't do my job. Um, They had me working as an admin because it was something I could do. I'm still, you know be a a positive contributor to our unit. And as a result of not being able to do my job, uh, the military decided that I would go through what they called the medical evaluation board. And back then in 2008, it was fairly new. Um, So it was one of those pilot programs that I went through. And as long as it took 
eight months to get through this medical evaluation board process. And they still didn't do all the appropriate things that they were supposed to do to ensure that my discharge was correct. Unfortunately, I, I went to two JAG officers, which is the military equivalent of uh, their lawyers, to get their advice. And I asked them, you know, their military is giving me this medical separation. It's only 20%. You know, it's not that, it's not that much. I know that I'm definitely more than 20% disabled. What should I do? And the reason why I went to them is because after anything that's over 30% in military, you get military retired instead of chaptered. And so that comes with a lot more benefits as a result of what the military has done for, to you. But I decided to take the separation and I got out in military, uh, the medical chapter because both JAG officers said, if I fight it, chances are I'll get even less than 20%. Mm. So I believed them and I decided to fight it when I got out. So I got out on October 8th of 2008 as a result of my, my medical conditions. And without fighting that medical chapter, they gave me 20% with separation pay. But the VA ten, then turned within the same month and gave me 60%. And so that should give you a little bit of, of an understanding of just how difficult it is to get the military to recognize that we are injured and in need of these certain percentages. I have paid over $20,000 in lawyers fees just to get the compensation and pension that I have today and the SS or the Social Security Disability. Wow. Um, so Raynaud's phenomenon, my understanding is that is uh, cold hands and feet, poor circulation, where you might see like discoloration uh, in hands and feet. Is that correct? That's correct. And it's a capillary response. And so it's a hyperactive capillary, it's cardiovascular condition, which is uh, caused as a result of autoimmune dysfunction. And at that time, they, they believed it was secondary or primary, meaning that there was no other cause for this Raynaud's. And they, they, they really had no idea what was causing it. It just appeared. And so um, by the end of my military career, I had already been diagnosed with over 10 debilitating medical conditions, um, including endometriosis, um, Raynaud's. I had two different bladder issues um, of which I had to take medication just for the bladder spasming to decrease so that I can use my bladder effectively. Um, I've had, I was diagnosed with um, reproductive issues in addition to the endometriosis. And so I had a lot of, you know, chronic illness already at the age of 28. Um, so when I got out of the military, I went back to school. I tried to uh, re-educate myself in a field that I thought it, I would, it would be more manageable. And so I went to school to become a massage therapist. I completed the thousand hour training, even with all of the that I had. Um, um, but after completing the, the national test and accomplishing massage uh, therapy um, education and, and the certificate, I wasn't able to go on to work in the field um, because I continued to progress in my medical conditions and get worse neurological symptoms um, along with cognitive uh, thinking and chronic fatigue. 
And so it became even more challenging to work in any field. And that's when I determined it was time to, to uh, apply for social security disability. Can you tell me a bit about your neurological symptoms? Sure. They started when I was still in the military with restless leg syndrome. And then um, they continued with uh, tremors throughout the body. I've had um, adverse reactions to different uh, tools, uh, specific tools that, ca- that cause vibrations in the body. Um, they caused me to have a, an adverse reaction and tremors throughout my body. Um, I had to go to the ER and um, I've had many complications with allergens, whether it's topical or pharmaceutical. Um, as a result of these allergens, I have not been able to take any pharmaceutical intervention in any class of drug. So cannabis is the only medication that I can take. Wow. And fast forward to today, I've been diagnosed with what they call autonomic neuropathy. It's a condition where it uh, affects the autonomic nervous system. And what we know about the body and the autonomic nervous system that it gives us that fight or flight response. And so when you think about a district, district dysregulation in that autonomic nervous system, everything that your body does involuntarily is disrupted. So I have POTS as a result of the autonomic neuropathy. Um, and I can no longer drive as a result of my POTS. I also have ITP, which is a condition where the body attacks its platelets. And so I bruise very easily, I bleed out, uh, making surgeries and other things uh, a lot more complicated. Um, and I've been diagnosed with over 25 debilitating medical conditions that cause over 60 different symptoms as a result of this vaccine. Wow, that must be so overwhelming, you know? I mean, so many of us with, with varying chronic illnesses a lot of the symptoms overlap or a lot of the diagnoses will overlap. But the more you have going on, the more overwhelming it becomes. Um, so how do you feel about this in, in a generalized sense? How do you feel about your body and your abilities now? It sounds like you, know, you, um, you experienced a lot of changes in what you were physically capable of doing. You mentioned applying to um, social, social security disability. Um, so how do you feel about this whole situation? I mean, are you, are you angry? Are you frustrated? What, what is the feeling? Angry, frustration, um, just tired, overall exhausted from having to speak to a medical community, speak to a family, speak to a public, speak to a leadership that won't even acknowledge that vaccines cause injury. Um, even though I've placed the evidence right in their face. Uh, so that's in a challenge in of, a, of itself. But just going through this process and having what the VA calls chronic multi-symptom illness, it's a very invisible illness. It's mm-hmm. the only visible uh, um, signs that you can see is that I use a cane, I can't drive, and I wear these glasses as a result of keratitis, 
and I have tremors, what they call facial fasciculations that cause my left side of my face to pull to one side. It's extremely painful. Um, they haven't determined as to what is causing it, but the hypothesis is, is due to um, a trigeminal nerve damage, mm. which I've been diagnosed with. I've been dealing with this for over 24 years. As a trained counterintelligence special agent, they trained me with the ability to conduct reputable research and know how to find that reputably sourced research. And I have been able to do so to determine exactly what has been causing my issues. So what I would like to do is just read off my problem list from the VA. And then I would like to read off the list of problems that have been indicated on the package insert of the anthrax vaccine. So to start with the diagnosis list from the VA, this is going back since 1998. I've been diagnosed with endometriosis, POTS, adverse reaction to immunization, which is vaccine immunoglobulin antiseria adverse reaction, degenerative disc disease, fibromyalgia, thrombocytopenia, which is the ITP, disorder of the autonomic nervous system, lymphedema, chronic fatigue syndrome, IBS, multinodular goiter, keratitis, photophobia, Raynaud's phenomenon, urge urinary incontinence, pelvic congestion, mitral regurgitation, TMJ, tremors, bruxism, interstitial cystitis, dermatitis, fasciitis, dry eye, central sensitivity, central nervous system complication, memory loss, muscle disorder, restless leg syndrome, varicose veins, dyspanorrhea, multiple drug allergies, as I stated earlier, multiple topical allergies, insomnia, and gastroparesis as a result of my autonomic neuropathy. I won't list off all the symptoms, but you can imagine there's quite a few. Mm -hmm. And as a result of the package inserts, for the package insert for the anthrax vaccine, this is what the anthrax vaccine has listed. Lymphedema, um, angioedema, which is topical allergic reactions, dizziness, much like POTS, tremors, uh, joint pain and joint disease, muscle destruction, flushing, which is a symptom I have, but they can't figure out why or what's causing it. So when you think of Flushing, what that is, is anytime you even think of an emotion or you think of a response, you can see it in my face. So I have no poker face. <laughs> <laughs> no poker face. Before you see the tears, before you hear or feel the emotion, my nose turns bright red like Rudolph, giving it away <laughs> every time. And so in addition to flushing, we have insomnia fainting, which is paresis syncope, and several others um, that seem to line up with my problem list. So it, you have so much going on physically. You know, you, you listed off all of these conditions. Um, how do you get through the day? What are your coping mechanisms? What do, what do you do to, to function? Well, fortunately... I was able to tap into my veteran community and realize that I wasn't alone, that the medical community 
continued to gaslight and deny and claim that it was all in my head when I knew that there were several of us going through the same thing. So that has helped, number one, reaching out through these Facebook groups, the other social media networks, and realizing that I am not alone in this and something needs to be done. So what I did in 2019 is I started my own Facebook group. And initially, or 2017 is when I started the Facebook group. Initially, it was just to bring us together to share our stories and bring awareness in that way. Then I just determined that it was not going to change the system. So in 2019, I started a 501c3 called Operation Truth, uh, Goal 4 Illness Suffering Unite, thinking that as a result, it would um, unite our community of veterans and we would work together to make change in the system. The only way that we can change, make change in the system in the VA is to go through U.S. Congress. You, you literally have to get a congressional mandate to make change in the VA. Unfortunately, these other groups, due to funding and multiple other factors, there are barriers in between us and they're not willing to work together. It was recently as of last year, we changed our name to Operation Truth Vaccination Exposure Research because we believe that name explains more to what we are actually trying to accomplish. And that's bring awareness to vaccine injury and funding for the critical vaccine injury research that we're trying to accomplish. Just yesterday, I found out about an amazing um, therapy that is used uh, by, um, an it's an anti-factor, if I'm saying that correct, lipid therapy that was discovered by Dr. Nicholson and his group after his daughter became, um, has go had go for illness as a result of her service in Desert Storm, Desert Shield. So we are going to be working with him um, to possibly gain fundings for our own vaccine injury group of veterans to use his therapy and to show U.S. Congress that this therapy could potentially help those who are vaccine injured. And I'm bringing this up because it's an amazing therapy that as a result of what it treats has been, um, has been placed barriers for it. Um, this doctor who has been researching goal for illness since the early nineties lost his job. Um, he lost his, or he couldn't, he wasn't able to lose his job because he was um, working as a professor, but they made it very difficult for him to continue in his field. But he adapted and overcame, and he's still to this day helping out our veteran community and vaccine-injured community and has came up with this amazing therapy. Um, in addition to that, and placing all of my anger um, towards the U.S. government because they deserve it, they're the ones that caused this. I was not born with a chronic illness. I was made into a chronic illness patient. Um, so I've had to learn how to place a lot of that anger in, you know, where it is meant to be. And this is my way of doing so, of gaining that motivation to fight for us all uh, through every negative notion that comes my way. Every doctor that says, no, you're not sick. Every doctor that says, oh, that's normal because you're 42. Every public entity that comes at me talking about, oh, you're not sick or 
you don't deserve your benefits or you didn't deploy so you don't have chronic illness or every family member that claims that uh, vaccine injuries don't occur that would not allow me to to this day be around them because I'm not vaccinated against COVID uh, against the COVID antigen um, because I can't get vaccinated. The vaccine is too high risk for me. It's listed right on the, the package insert in addition to the CDC findings that if you are at high risk, that you should not be getting these vaccines. And so I was not able to. Our U.S. government did not employ any um, uh, additional interventions for us. And so that is a number, another reason why we fight for us all for change in the vaccination process. We fight through the medical community so that they will be aware of what these vaccine injuries do and how to treat them. So they will no longer treat us like it's all in our head and we're just trying to seek out whatever they feel is our agenda. And so in addition to that, I started um, a longboard therapy charity called Rebels Society. Because when you think of longboarding and skateboarding, um, it is another one of those sports that is not really well known. And uh, we are seen as rebels because there is really no place for us to enjoy our sport. And so I was longboarding well before I was injured. And I took it up as an adult and was able to, you know, cruise and downhill. And I've just now discovered the amazing ability of freestyle and dance on your longboard. And it's a challenge, a physical challenge. And it's something that I have been able to accomplish and overcome even with my cane and my disabilities. And yet it's another one of those, um, those hobbies that people don't understand that a person with chronic multi-symptom illness could even accomplish. And so uh, it's just one of those breaking barriers and showing people that there is life after chronic illness. I love that. That's so cool. And what, I, what I'm hearing from you is that, you know, you just want more research to be done and if there is some sort of blood marker that can be found to identify people who are going to be uh, resistant to vaccines or, or have an adverse reaction to vaccines, why don't we try to find that? You know, I mean, I, I, I don't know what the, what the percentages are of, of people who have an an adverse reaction to the anthrax vaccine, but if that's like five, 10%, we need to protect those people, you know, like, uh, why not try to figure out why those people had this adverse reaction? Um, you know, if there was a contaminant in that batch, what was the contaminant? You know, what is it that, that caused this? And if there's something still happening, we should know that. Um, and, you know, for the, I, I keep thinking it's impossible to not think about the COVID vaccine in this conversation because the, we, we're in a post-COVID world. It's impossible to not think about that. And... There are people who were, you know, this is very public knowledge that there are people who are, it was recommended to not get the vaccine. Like people who have adverse reactions to vaccines should not get the COVID vaccine. 
That's something that's very widely reported. I feel like we, we hit this binary as a culture. I'm vaccinated and boosted for COVID, and I have never gotten COVID. You know, knock on wood. <laughs> I was just exposed recently, but didn't get it, uh, which is was shocking to me. Um, and I, I know many people that have had COVID at this point, and um, those that I've known that were vaccinated that had COVID had a very minor case. Um, and, and that's fantastic. But, but there are so many people, no one, not everyone's body is the same, you know, like we can't expect everyone's body to be the same and everyone's calculation for, for choosing what they do is different. So we are, we need to move past this binary of right and wrong of, you know, what is right and wrong for everyone. Cause that doesn't exist. There are different things that are right and wrong for different people. And in your, in your life, you've had this, you know, diagnosed adverse reaction to vaccines that has been diagnosed by the VA. It, it absolutely makes sense for you to not get the COVID vaccine. And I'm sure that you have hit pushback from that. And people make their individual choices and you may not agree with their choices, but that doesn't mean that you need to throw those people away. It doesn't mean that those people aren't valid and don't have valid reasons for making those choices. Um, and I, I think that you sharing your story today is really important. And, you know, you bring a perspective to the table that is very different and, than what, what I have heard. It's very unique. And, uh, well, unfortunately, not as unique as, as we would hope, um, because as you said, you've connected with a lot of other people that have had similar experiences. But, you know, I, there's this other element to this of, you know, people who join the military being exposed to things that civilians are not. And, you know, we, we didn't, you didn't even bring up Agent Orange, which is this whole other thing, you know, that I think will be on a lot of people's radars right now, because there was a scene talking about Agent Orange in the new season of Stranger Things. Um, so, it's something that a lot of people may have just heard of for the first time. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't want to share any personal details, but I do know someone who was exposed to Agent Orange and it caused, you know, lifelong health complications. So, um, there are a lot of things that people in the military are being exposed to that uh, in the line of duty, um, and we need to be protecting those people, the people that are willing to risk their lives for our country. You know, our country needs to do everything it can to protect them because that is an incredible service that that people like you are providing. So, um, yeah, just a lot to think about. What an, what an amazing conversation. I really, really appreciate you being so willing to be open and share because I know that you have so much pushback all the time. You know, it takes a lot of bravery to get up onto a public platform and to share. Well, thank you so much. And I, I just want to reiterate that, you know, as a result of our government's misinformation, it has placed a lot of disruption and um, misunderstanding throughout our public and our community, whether it's medical community, disabled community, or just the regular public. Whenever our government places mandatory measures that discriminate against an entire population, that should never be allowed. And that is exactly what we saw in these last two years when we've had entire cities and counties make it illegal for us to us being the um, non-vaccinated uh, demographic, not able to be around public. They placed such misinformation that my family sees me as having cooties that is just going to spread disease 
and make them sick. And unfortunately, because of this misinformation, I was exposed to COVID at the beginning of the year from my vaccinated family. Hmm. Every adult in that family was vaccinated. They came together over the New Year's time. They went to a cabin. All of them were there. None of the children were vaccinated because at that time, I don't believe they had a vaccination for anyone under the age of 18. But for what, what have you, the children weren't vaccinated. All the adults were. The vaccinated adult that brought COVID into the family um, thought he just had a cold. And so he thought he just had a cold. He determined he would still go to this party, was around everyone. Every single family member got COVID. Every vaccinated member, all the children. And then they brought it back to where I was staying, renting a room from my family. And I got COVID as well. So if it really is the unvaccinated spreading disease as the misinformed government has placed on our media networks, then why is it that I didn't get sick for two years during the worst part of the pandemic, traveling across the country on train, didn't get it until I got it from my vaccinated family? I'm saying this because there is so much we don't know. And when you take a government that places out misinformation as truth, it causes an entire demographic of patients, even in the disabled community, to not be seen as valuable patients in need of critical health care. And as a result of me getting COVID at early part of this year, I was in extreme pain. My white blood count was very low. My platelet count was very low. Um, and for a week long plus time frame, I wasn't able to eat. I only was able to have a liquid diet. And I went to the ER with all of this going on and they didn't even give me an IV. They said they sent me home with no care and told me to stay away from everyone else. Now, what they should have done, and if my medical condition would have been on their authorized list, I would have received an immune booster, just like my uncle with hep C that had to have a liver transplant and everyone else. Unfortunately, we've caused this disruption and division. And I could go on about how our government loves to increase and cause division and cause chaos so that they can then come in and cause the control. But I, I'll leave that for your own call. <laughs> yeah. But I say this, that nobody is the same, just like you were saying. And no, by no means am I anti-vax. I am pro-truth and pro-freedom of choice in all things, not just healthcare, but specifically in healthcare. Because when we start making mandates for all, as in all bodies are the same, is when we start having injuries that we can't understand. And until we have this critical medical research, we may never know. Wow. Thank you so much for your perspective and for sharing with us today. You've given me a lot to think about. I'm someone who's, you know, very, very pro-vaccine. But what, what I have never considered is, you know, I, I've always known that there is a certain amount of people who can't get the vaccine for one reason or another. Um, 
But to be the person who can't get the vaccine because you have reactions to vaccines, um, that puts you in such a complicated position. And that's so unfair. So, you know, being able to hear your perspective, I will take that with me. Part of, you know, thinking about the whole world as we are, if we are all thinking of each other as one family and we're all caring for each other, you know, anyone who's ever been to a family vacation knows that everybody has different needs. And if you're trying to care for your family, you need to understand that, you know, each person's need is going to be different from the other person. And we need to be open and willing to hear what the other person is telling you and recognize that people get to make their own individual choices and they make their decisions on what their needs are based off of their experience. So to assume that, you know, what works for me is going to work for other people is, uh, it may be right most of the time, but it's never going to be right all of the time. And we need to be open to listen to the people who are telling us that their needs are different. So that's an amazing message to come out of this conversation. So Sarah, thank you so much for your time today. I would love for you to take an opportunity to plug anything that you'd like to share. Um, so please feel free, anything that you'd like to share with our, with our audience. Thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity and for my ability to bring awareness to our vaccine injured community. With that being said, if you are a vaccine injured patient, or you have chronic multi-symptom illness from any um, exposure, whether that be environmental or otherwise, we are conducting a video documentary that will help bring awareness to chronic multi-symptom illness caused by environmental exposures to include vaccine injury. And this not only will be an amazing video for a multitude of reasons, but we are also using it as our uh, congressional hearing um, piece once we get there and are finally able to um, provide testimony to U.S. Congress. So if you're interested, please go ahead and seek us out at operationtruth.net. Um, if you're also interested in finding out more information, um, there's some incredible research articles on our website at operationtruth.net. And we'd be happy to have you on our team if you're looking for um, an organization that you would like to give back to the community in, in this type of way, we definitely um, are seeking all types of team members. So thank you so much for allowing me to come on the show and express the need for medical research and awareness of our vaccine injury community. Yeah, you did a great job today, Sarah. You've given me a ton to think about and um, I really empathize with your experience and I'm trying to put myself in the position of someone who's had your experience and feels like the world is trying to silence you. And that's got to be so upsetting. So um, yeah, I'm going to, I'm really going to think about that a lot and it's going to affect how I, how I interact with, with the world. So thank you so much for sharing your story today. I really appreciate it. Thank you again. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to this episode of major pain. I'm Jesse Mercury, your host and the producer of this podcast. Artwork by Egg Salad Salad. Our theme music is the song Time Machine from my sci-fi synth-pop album, available at jessemercury.bandcamp.com. Send your thoughts or questions to our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use that address to find us on PayPal. Tips are greatly appreciated. Don't forget to leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Find more information about this show or leave a comment on any episode at our website, MajorPainPodcast.com. Major Pain is supported by listeners on Patreon.
thank you to our $2 per month supporters, our $7 per month patrons Naomi Adele Smith, Sunny Roberts, Laura Stevens, Brooke Walters Schmidt, Kelsey Madsen, All Around Foundation Waterproofing, Danielle Signorelli, Alexandria Henderson, and Justin Minnick, and our $25 per month producers Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Ensign Q, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia. Learn how you can support the show while receiving special recognition, gifts, and monthly bonus episodes at patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast.